0: Welcome to From the Rooker End. Uh, this is a, a different sort of podcast from us. It's a tribute to Oli Phillips, the Watford reporter for the Watford Observer for over four decades. Ollie sadly passed away at the start of February uh, and he wasn't just a talented journalist but also a passionate supporter and fan of Watford. And his dedication to reporting on the team's ups and downs over the years was unparalleled. For many Watford fans, he was an important part of their weekly routine of following the club. And to others, he was a big part of their careers as journalists. For his family and those that worked with Ollie, His loss is felt deeply, uh, and we have spoken to many who work with him in the Watford Observer newsroom and given a grounding for a career in journalism with Ollie's guidance. Solana Burney, Stuart Hutchinson and Kevin Affleck. Also, Anthony Matthews, who is still at the paper, and Andrew French, who recently returned after being part of the team alongside Ollie in the 80s and 90s. You'll also hear from Pete Fincham, a very close friend of Ollie's, and Simon Marchant, one of those many Watford fans who read every word he wrote. Plus, we talked to two men who were on the other side of Ollie's words, former players, goalkeeper Tony Coton and centre-back John McLennan. He was a bright and vibrant presence in the newsroom and the press box, always ready with a helpful word or a joke to lift spirits, even during the toughest days for Watford. His love for his job and for the community he served was evident in every word he wrote and his commitment to telling the stories of the people and the goings-on that matter at Vicarage Road was truly inspiring. But it wasn't just his professional accomplishments that made Ollie so special. He was a friend to many, a loyal and generous soul who gave freely of his time and energy to those who needed it the most. In this podcast, we remember Ollie, not just for his incredible work as a journalist, but also the impact he had on the lives of those around him. We share stories, memories and reflections on his life to celebrate the legacy he leaves behind. So let's start by hearing about the rituals of reading Ollie's writing, starting with Lionel Burney
1: generations of Watford fans probably experienced and had that same relationship with the Watford Observer that I had because Ollie had been covering the clubs long before I started to get interested in it. He was originally with uh, the other big paper in the town before joining the Watford Observer, which in newspaper terms was a bit of a step down, I guess, because the Watford Observer was a weekly paper, whereas the other paper was a daily. But Ollie Phillips was a fixture a generations of Watford supporters looked forward to the friday routine of getting hold of a copy of the Watford observer in my case my dad would bring a copy home from work And I'd spread those big broadsheet pages out over either the dining table or my bedroom floor. And I would devour every word of Ollie's coverage of the club.
0: Simon Marchant, a exiled Hornet now, but like Lionel, he made sure he had the WAPT Observer in his hands every Friday.
2: I read every sentence. The rest of the paper I threw away. Goodness knows how much Ollie increased readership. He was accurate, he was independent, he was not afraid to ruffle feathers. But it's amazing how many online obituaries from those exiled from Hertfordshire and Northwest London in the 70s, 80s and 90s mentioned that they had family and friends post the back pages of the Watford Observer to them when they were overseas. Uh, me too. My brother John did it for me after I moved to Australia in 1988. You just had to read Oliver Phillips.
0: Many of the people we spoke to for this tribute to Ollie worked with him at the Watford Observer. And even before they worked with him, he was such an important part of their life as a Watford fan. First up, Stuart Hutchinson, and then Kevin Affleck.
3: Well, I just love the world that his writing evoked. Remember, cycling from Sarat down to the ground in the snow to report on a surprise signing, and then cycling all the way home again and being quizzed on what he knew in the boot pub and standing on the platform at for Junction with Ray Lug and Keith Eddy and the team waiting to get the train to Workington for an away game. Uh, a different world, but one I, I wish I'd experienced. And uh, it was lovely to read about it in his writing.
4: I remember doing a paper round as a kid, Monday to Thursday, kind of you whiz round it on the bike as quickly as you can, lobbing pa- paper through people's letterboxes or even in their front gardens. But on a Friday, I ditched the bike. I remember this clearly, I ditched the bike sometimes so you could you could just walk round and pour over every word as you'd walk round and do do your paper, and that's how kind of in demand and sought after his, his wise words were.
5: Not being massively interested in the uh, goings-on at the town hall, there was only one place really to go, and that was the uh, back page, and straight for Chalice, of course.
0: Pete and talk about Terry Chalice, the cartoonist, whose weekly cartoons at Watford were part of that amazing Watford Observer coverage that sat alongside Ollie's work
5: being eight, eight or nine years old there was uh, something quite fantastic about cartoons which pretty much stayed with everybody I, I knew until well until those cartoons sadly stopped a number of a number of years ago. But Ollie used to write in a way that in, in the day when there wasn't that coverage that you get now where there's instantaneous match reports they were the ones you went for they were far more interesting than the Sunday or the Monday newspapers because they were so detailed. it was as though you were there. The, the, the way he wrote with such evocative language, but also simple language that everybody could understand. There was no attempt to bamboozle people with wordplay. It was dra- great, straight from the heart.
0: Pete Fincham never worked at the Watford Observer, but Andrew French, who we here from now, firstly worked with Ollie way back in the day, but of course, more recently, has returned to the Watford Observer. This is what Ollie's coverage meant to him when he was a kid.
6: When you're a fan of anything, a football club, a sports club, a, a musician, when you've got the insight of someone who knows that thing really well, so knows the football club or knows the pop star, uh, and they, they deliver it in such a way that you actually feel like you know the thing that, yourself, then you, you treasure it. So I used to look forward every Friday morning to the Watford Observer because not only was it match reports, it was the thoughts of the manager. It was the thoughts of the player. It was statistics. It was analysis. It was it was totally complete. When you think back, the Watford Observer coverage under Ollie was, was way, way ahead of its time. You know, it, it was almost a written form of the sort of thing you get on Sky now. You know, it, and Watford, when I first started supporting them, we, you know, they weren't a big club. We weren't at the top table. And yet we got coverage that, you know, wasn't really afforded to the likes of Liverpool or Manchester United. So it it was, you know, I used to love Friday morning. You know, we used to get the paper delivered and I'd shoot down the stairs and you'd read a bit before you went to school and then I'd read a bit more when I came home and it kept you going for the week. And you you felt like you knew everything that was happening at the football club and and that was a a real rare treat for a club of our
0: size. Lionel Burney again.
1: It wasn't until much later that I realised that not every club's supporters had this depth of coverage that we as Watford fans enjoyed on a weekly basis. It was really quite extraordinary for a local paper to have that depth of coverage in their football club, especially in the early days when Watford were in the lower divisions. I mean, Ollie's career kind of mirrors the... The way the club came up through the divisions. I mean, the heyday was obviously the 19, late 1970s and 1980s when Graham Taylor and Elton John really revolutionised the entire club, and Ollie was there to document that entire journey in, you know, really detailed form. By the mid 80s, you're talking two or three, sometimes even four, broadsheet newspaper pages of densely written, densely typeset coverage of the club and you know he covered everything from the boardroom down to the reserve and the junior teams there was there was really nothing that went on at Vicarage Road that Ollie Phillips didn't know about
0: so after reading him almost idolizing Ollie a little bit from afar many of our contributors got to meet him Pete Fincham of course was working in and around the club as a teenager had a couple of ideas about becoming a writer but Ollie's first impressions of him weren't quite what he would have wanted maybe
5: by sort of ninety two when I went away to university and and started to develop some fairly um silly ambitions of writing more, I'd be on quite familiar terms with him, mainly because I was trying to be familiar with everybody and mainly because he found me fairly annoying. I ended up in the press box a fair few times, something that much as he was very encouraging to amateur professionals less so the sort of amateurist lines that I would often take. And he remembered me as Harry the Hornet, and I remember one time he, it was, a, I think it was South End away in the ZDS, quite an appalling game, we lost 3-0. I think his frustrations got the better of him, and he said, can someone explain to me why Harry the bloody Hornet is in the press box?
0: So you, it, it wasn't a friendship immediately. <laughs> But what about those who went to work with him at the Watford Observer as very young men to this very well-established Watford writer? What were their first impressions of him? Firstly, Lionel Burney, and then Andrew French.
1: Like a lot of people who went through that Watford Observer sports desk probably thought that they wanted to be the next Ollie Phillips. And I certainly did. Several of my colleagues who were on that desk probably did as well. And so when I first went in on a week's work experience when I was still at school, I was actually really disappointed to learn because it was during the summer holidays. I basically got there and Ollie Phillips was off that week. He was on holiday, not there. However, he was just kind of holidaying at home. He hadn't gone away anywhere. And on the Thursday afternoon, he came into the office just to cast his eye over the pages and see what the the team had done in his absence and just kind of check everything was as it should be. But my first impression of Ollie when he came in that Thursday afternoon was just what a big and imposing man he was. I mean, well over six foot, uh, crushing bear-like handshake. Um, You know, I was only a teenager at the time. He just said one or two things to me. He said... uh, sorry I've not been here this week, not got to know you, but I've heard you've done all right.
6: My dad had a friend who worked at the Watford Observer, and he said, look, why don't you get a, you know, get a bit of work experience? And I, I liked writing and I liked reading, so I thought, well, why not? So I went in um, one Friday. Now, I hadn't even worked out, then the paper had gone for that week, so it was a nice quiet day. And I went in, and Ollie wasn't there that day, and I must have impressed because they asked me to go back another week. And the second time I went back... I'm typing at the desk and I heard this voice and it, it was a big booming voice across what was a very big office and I turned around and my first thought was because I was sitting down is wow how tall is that man but Ollie just had such a presence about him he was such a big man with such a big voice and he had this sort of very hearty laugh a bit sort of you know James Earl Jones you know that sort of very deep chesty laugh and he, he was just a big person and a massive I remember shaking his hand and it was like you know it's like having your hand wrapped around a shovel it was massive and everything about him was big his personality his laugh his voice so the first time I met him I was just a bit taken aback really I've read his stuff and he's even bigger in real life than what he is on
0: the page but during you know the many years that Ollie was at the WAPS Observer the media You know, media changed quite a lot. By the time he left, television was, of course, king. But through most of his time, print and newspapers were king of sports coverage. And, of course, he led the way for Watford. Let's hear some of the stories about Ollie as a newspaper man. Firstly, Stuart Hutchinson.
3: Ollie was my boss when I first started in journalism as a cub reporter on the Watford Observer. He was sports editor, of course, and that involved him writing thousands of words on Watford FC every week. Often two full match reports, a news lead, other news stories, plus his just a thought column, all accompanied by Terry Chalice's cartoon. Of course, Terry would would come in with his with his work on Thursday mornings, ahead of going to print Thursday afternoon. And uh, what a double like they were in the office, you know, often just slipping into a continuation of the conversation they'd been having in the pre-match Indian crew on the Tuesday afternoon.
5: What always interested me though around that time was. He wasn't interested in tittle-tattle and there was one situation where i think perriman got done for drink driving on the way back from a heart senior cup game and he never gave it any coverage because he says well it's not really what i'm here to write about and he was like yeah but you do know that there was someone he got turned in by a supporter who had phoned the police and said perriman had had a couple of drinks in, the, in this clubhouse afterwards and he goes it's nothing to do with me it's nothing to do with football It's a personal matter for him. I always found that quite different to the other sort of media people you'd meet who'd be sniffing out a story and would happily publish
0: any old crap. Pete Fincham talking about the standards that Ollie lived his journalistic life to. But what did the others who work with him see about him as Ollie Phillips, the newspaper man?
1: One thing I learned a lot about his writing style, which is very hard to replicate, is often... There were gems that he didn't actually write, but you could read between the lines what what he was trying to get at. And over time, if you were familiar with his writing and familiar with how he wrote about certain individuals, you could piece together and form your own opinion of what he was driving at if he couldn't actually put it in in black and white. And the other thing, he split reporting and comment and he kept almost a Berlin Wall between the two. If you read his match reports from the 80s, I mean, I went when I was writing Enjoy the Game, I, I read almost well, the decade of his entire coverage. You know, his match reports were very factual. And then his commentary, his kind of opinion pieces... He, he had a column that he called Just a Thought. That was where he kept his opinionated bits. He, you know, he, he would express his opinion, but he would keep the two separate. And so readers really trusted what he was doing because they could trust his reporting and they could respect his opinion even if they didn't agree with it.
4: It wasn't something I really hit on until kind of later in my career. Kevin Affleck again, talking about Ollie's writing style. It was very much a, a broadsheet style. It wasn't kind of, he didn't do, indulge in kind of sensationalism or as we now know, kind of, clickbaits it was it was just real authoritative writing it was um knowledgeable he'd done his research the difference between opinion and and news he he was had his news piece on the back page which invariably involved a transfer or, or an issue in, in 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 the team around that time or team news but and then and then he differentiated very well between his his columns his, his in passing columns and they just carried s- such weight and he just had a a remarkable memory, just a remarkable encyclopedic memory, and, and I don't think many fans kind of realise how lucky we were, because the very nature of jobs, and particularly newspapers websites these days are quite transient, people there 18 months, two years, three years, and move on to bigger, better things. But we had this guy for 40 years, through this golden era, the, the Halcyon era, as he regularly referred to it as, we had this guy to chronicle that rise through the divisions and that glorious ride underground, Taylor. And he was there every step of the way. And I don't think we realise how lucky we are to have that on record with his wise words.
0: Antti Matthews was one of the last of our contributors to work with Ollie at his time at the Watford Observer. And he remembers what he loved about Ollie's writing.
7: It was the ability to paint, paint pictures in words, basically. Even if you weren't at the game, you knew what had gone on. Because, I mean, the detail was magnificent. It's that lovely old style of, Football reporting that, sadly, in the modern day and age, isn't so much with us now. Some some people still do it, so, and that's why I think there's still a still a massive place for for newspapers. I know I think it's online these days, but I'm I'm quite old school in that regard, and I like nothing more than picking up a newspaper and reading about a game. Uh, and I still think there's. Uh, again I mean this comes from Molly there's there's a lot of still a lot of mileage I think for match reports and I know a lot of a lot of people still love reading them sort of six seven days after the event yeah you can read them online now straight away afterwards but a lot of people who may be again a bit bit old school like that old style of that old style reporting and Ollie was amongst the very best in that respect, as far as I'm concerned.
0: So, that's how former colleagues talk about Ollie and what they found when they first met him and started working with him. But what about the players? We spoke with John McLennan, former centre back and legendary goalkeeper, Tony Coton, and about their experiences of Ollie. When John joined Watford from Glasgow Rangers, he had some uh, surprises, I suppose, about what he found with Ollie's relationship with Watford.
8: Well, I remember he put in the in the Watcher Observer that I, when I made my debut, it was his thousandth game he had covered, and it was against Sunderland. But he was always very calm and quiet, and, and never raised his voice. And I found it very unusual that a manager would let a reporter go in pre-season with us, because very the distrusty enough reporters. But my eyes were opened to a lot of things at Watford. Graham Taylor obviously wanted to get involved in the community. and uh, knew maybe he approached Ollie, Ollie approached him. They must have had a really good relationship to trust each other. The press sometimes just writes snippets of things out of nowhere and twist sort of what's been said. And that was my experience. Other clubs when I've left Watford, there's not a lot of trust because they're going for maybe a big story rather than a c- continuous relationship with a club. So for Graham to do that, uh, it must have been a fine balance. But uh, they obviously did respect each other very much. All I wrote, what needed to be read, it wasn't something, oh, you know, he's going to always say nice things about us. I think most of the players look forward to reading the Watford Observer, and it's usually just half a page in a normal paper book. It's virtually about three pages, and he'd go into, obviously, a lot of detail of the team selection and the substitutes and whether they were right or whether they were wrong. He didn't, obviously, just write to please Graham Taylor or even to... Please the players we also have heard of course
0: how every Watford fan would go and grab the Watford Observer on a Friday lay it out and consume everything that Ollie had written but did the players read what Ollie wrote about them Tony Coton
9: it was the go-to paper on a Friday morning for the players especially on an away game there was loads of copies of Watford Observer on the bus on a, on a Friday that was the go-to paper to see what Ollie had written. If we didn't believe in that journalist and if we didn't like that journalist, we wouldn't have bought the papers.
0: The honesty of Ollie's writing has been clear, but did the players always like what he wrote and did they always have those good relationships with him after a game? John McLennan.
8: I do remember one incident that I didn't talk to Ollie. I had a very bad game against Sheffield Wednesday. I think Gary Thompson who had joined us. I think there might have been this four five one or something at Sheffield. And I jumped early, I jumped late, i done everything, and whatever it was, I just couldn't get hold of Gary Thompson or Sheffield. I remember Ollie came, and I always had a good relationship with him, uh, and asked me, "Can we talk about something?" I said, "Well, to talk to the press, you always have a choice not to talk to the press." <laughs> so I've really nothing to say today. <laughs> I felt bad about it, but. I was so frustrated with myself, not with Ollie. If you've had a bad day at work, you're frustrated with yourself. (laughs) And somebody can ask you the thing at the wrong time. But he took it, no, he took it and he said, fair enough. (laughs) That was the only time ever. And I always think I should have (laughs) apologised.
0: The reputation of Tony Coton sort of goes ahead of him a little bit. And what happened maybe when... uh... Ollie wrote something that Tony
9: disagreed with.
0: Here's what Tony told us.
9: A couple of times we didn't see eye to eye with a few things. I've said before that the marks that he gave out, you know, or what he said about a certain young player I didn't agree with. It was a few choice. It, 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 was, it was words. I'm only talking about one instance. He was taken aback with my, my aggressiveness. I just thought he shouldn't have said that for a young player. He gave his reasons. I went home, thought about it, that I was out of order. And I was about to apologise when I saw him next, when my house phone rang and it was Ollie, And he said, let me explain. I said, no, no, let me apologise, I was out of order. He said, I really appreciate you apologising and the way you've defended your own teammates. No malice in it. He'd obviously give a, a frank and open report on what he saw on that particular game it's the same as if i'd had a bad game and he said so in the paper next time you saw him at vicarage road or whenever it was i think he used to speak with graham obviously quite a lot on on the phone but sometimes i saw him knocking around the ground you know we'd have a discussion and we'd say a bit harsh on that one or um ollie i was embarrassed with what you said about me on on the last game i know i I had a good game, but I think you're, you, you're superlative that you've written, I didn't deserve. And he used to say, I don't write them if I don't think you deserve them. He had the ability to suck <laughs> information out of you, really. Nothing detrimental or anything that would hurt anything at the club. But if we'd been training particularly hard that week or we found the opposition or whatever it was, he had the ability to suck it out of you. You know, he was like a detective superintendent. <laughs> like
0: us Watford fans, Ollie enjoyed the golden era with Graham Taylor. Of course, he had to move on with managers and deal with Dave Bassett. I asked Tony Coton what Ollie had been like during that slightly darker time in Watford's history.
9: He was very supportive. Some experienced words of wisdom. Obviously, he was pro-Graham, wasn't he? And It was a difficult time for us all, that change after Graham left. And obviously, I would probably say Holly may have found it as difficult as the players because Graham was so accessible. Dave Bassett might have been, I don't know. I think Holly, from a, not from afar, but a bit further than what the players, he could see the changes that were being made, whether he agreed with them, whether he didn't agree with them. But he, he often said to me, because that was the only time I was at, I'd ever been dropped in my career, and Dave Bassett dropped me for four games, And Ollie contacted me, and I said, "Writing's on the wall here, Ollie, for me." And no, 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 just stay with it. You'll get your place. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not about your form or your ability. Or I said, "What else can it be? I ain't done anything wrong." He knew what was going on, and he might have known. I don't know his relationship with Bertie me. I don't know what his relationship with Eddie Plumley or people like that was. He might have known that was there might have been something afoot or something happening because it happened not long after I, I went back in the team.
0: Many people could feel, especially journalists, that they have a certain role to be played in the, the world of the football club that they, they cover. But Pete Fincham talks about Ollie and how he felt about his role.
5: From my relationship with him, he was comfortable in what he saw his role was, which was to be a mouthpiece For everyone to get their message to everybody else, whether it be the club trying to give a message or it be the supporters trying to give a message to the club, he would always start a phone call with, "Ah, so what do you know? And that was his way of having a conversation to try and just have a chat around certain things because it was far easier to find out what was going on when you were just talking to someone as opposed to it being an interview. And to that end, knowing how he'd balanced his entire career around that jovial, well-meaning stance he would take made the, the years that were his final ones writing in Watford before he moved to France. To be, for me, it was, it was a very, very significant part of the reason why I have such contempt for the holy trinity of Ashton, Boothroyd and Simpson. Not one of them gave a, a truly great man the right level of
4: respect.
0: Here's Kevin Affleck again.
4: he well, also is a wonderful reminder that, that football did exist before the Premier League, I think. There's, there's a certain generation of fans down, up and down the country who think the football started and ended in, So, football started in 1992. Yeah, it was going on long before long before the Premier League went to town. But but yeah, I think it did, Is it created a first for Watford News because the Watford Observer became so readable, so he built up that anticipation. That excitement, Phrase always lives with me, he, a peek behind the curtain. He basically reflected what was going on at the club. There was no club website there, no club social media, no club videographers. And I think he bought into the whole community thing, and that was down to, to Graham as well. Graham knew what an asset he had in, in Ollie. And, and Ollie just reported on, on, on it was every level of the club. So, yeah, I, I think he, he, wove, he wove the club into the fabric of the community and, and vice versa.
0: But what was he like at Vicarage Road on a match day? Here's what Andrew French remembers. In the press box, certainly at Watford he you know, he ran the press
6: box. And that was way before there was a, a press office or a media manager. You know, he ran the press box. He knew who had a phone in there and who didn't. He had phones that people could borrow. He knew where people sat. Everyone knew that the Watford press box was, was run by Ollie Even to the point that after he passed away and I went to the next home game, a lot of the older journalists, you know, were Saying the same sort of thing you know when you came here Ollie was your man and he'd help you out and if you weren't sure of something he'd you know he'd put you put you straight but he also made sure you got a desk and a phone and a, a chair so yeah he, he really was you know he commanded respect and he earned respect but he was also respectful he you know he, he didn't didn't sort of um, take advantage of anybody he was it's just you know I know when people pass away there's always that tendency that people say they were great people but Ollie really was a great bloke great boss great colleague great men or great friend and i yet to meet anybody who didn't
0: enjoy being in this company he was, was just really good fun to many of our contributors ollie was someone who mentored them let's get some of the the views and the stories of that firstly Stu hutchinson
3: ollie oversaw the local sports coverage my mate jeremy who came before me as a junior reporter he remembers accidentally throwing away the bushy friendly league results from the weekend and ollie made him climb into a skip in the car park to collect them uh, all of this was a great grounding for a young reporter. He let us uh, interview players after first team games for example. I remember the first time I did that. I asked Craig Ramage for some quotes after a game and Ollie had been critical of him the week before in the paper. Craig was quite short with me, which was hard to handle as a young as a young reporter and he was my favorite player as well. Ollie got wind of this and the next week he collared Ramage after the game in the tunnel and told him, you know, if you've got a problem with what I write, have it out with me, not a youngster. It was all straightened out anyway, very quickly, but that's just the example of the sort of guy he was.
0: And Ollie was there for Lionel Burney when he learnt a very early lesson in his career.
1: I was still at school, but I got into a routine of going off and covering local non league matches for the paper on a Saturday. And I'd ring up and they'd say, oh, do you fancy going to St Albans City or Chesham United or Hemel Hempstead Town or whatever? And one day they sent me to Harefield United and Harefield were having a really bad season. I think they hadn't won a game. Well, I know they hadn't won a game all season. They'd lost like nine, ten, or 11 games in a row and they lost again. Then, as now, I think with newspapers, the custom is that the first word is capitalised. So you'd have the first word in capital letters. And I was very pleased with myself being kind of a smug, far too clever for myself, teenager. I wrote pointless Harefield United, slipped to a Tenth consecutive defeat, blah 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 blah. Knowing that the word pointless would be capped up, and thinking, well, you know, that's a bit of snark, isn't it? When the paper came out on the Friday, I saw it and I was like, oh, they kept my intro. You know, huh, well done me. Give myself a pat on the back. When I next went into the office to deliver my next report, the phone rang and Ollie, much to my surprise, said, oh, Lionel, it's for you. And he handed me the handset, and it was the Harefield United manager. <laughs> who uh, wasn't too pleased that I'd basically taken the piss out of them in my intro. And the point he's made to me was, uh, he said, would you have said that to me? Would you have called us pointless to my face, you know, when when uh, we spoke after the match? And you asked me a couple of questions because you didn't say it then. So, you know, why did you put it in the paper? And I was all flustered, didn't really know what to say, thought I'd completely messed up, you know, kind of flustered an apology Handed the phone back to Ollie, who was just sort of sat there listening to my side of the conversation. And I said, oh, sorry, Ollie, have I really messed up here? And he said, no, no, not at all. You know, clever enough intro, you know, bit of a piss take. But you know that. You knew that when you wrote it. He said, but the lesson there is when somebody rings up to complain about something you've written, if it's factually incorrect, you put your hands up, you apologize, you correct it in the next edition. But if you stand by what you wrote then you must stand by it, not just kind of, you know, bluster an apology. You wrote that to take the piss. So you should have said, look, I wrote this to sort of be clever for myself. And it was a really, you know, I, I wasn't a staff member there. But it was a really interesting lesson to learn very early on about the importance of accountability. You know, you write what you write, and then you stand by it afterwards. And that goes for for not just journalism, but for lots of things, I suppose. And that really is a... A grain ran through Ollie's coverage for decades. You know, he knew that people would read his coverage. The players would read it, even if they said they didn't. The manager would certainly read it. Certainly the club's hierarchy read it. And the reason they read it was because they knew the supporters read it. He knew that all of those people reading it, that was him being held to account. So it was quite an, an early lesson for me. You know, if you're going to write something... You know, taking the mickey out of somebody in that way. Be prepared for them to call you up on it, and uh, you know you've got to stand there and say, "Yeah, sorry, I was I was taking the mickey actually." And rather than just kind of shrink back into your shell, I learned that from Ollie very early on, and uh, it's something that I've tried to remember throughout the rest of my career.
4: He, he taught me the value of relationships, and and not just relationships at work, but relationships in life. And and he showed the relationship with Graham, which manifested itself in in some great copy. And he, he showed me how to handle a very cooperative, helpful manager in Graham. But then he also showed me how he could still do his job when um, Gianluca Viali was in charge and wasn't particularly helpful for, for various reasons, but but Ollie still managed to do his job to to a, a, a high, incredibly high standard. And it, it just showed me the, the art of relationships and, and that's something I've, um, I've carried with me throughout my career. Just an example of how, in the know, he was, and, and ahead of the game, he was, and, and and how the respect I had for him, really. I remember we played QPR at home. Um, it was a night game, and Graham was in charge, and he said, "Listen, I think we're going to sign Peter Crouch. We're really interested in in signing Peter Crouch." And and back, you just wanted to race home and kind of tell your family and tell your friends, but because of the respect I had for him, just didn't 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 breathe a word, and. And it, the, the transfer didn't end up coming off, but some part of me thinks it was a, a little test to see if you could be trusted with information. But it was also a sign of just how he want, was in with Graham, that Graham was giving him two or three day, days' notice that Peter Crouch would be signing. And, and I just don't think you get that these days with the relationship with the club. The club like to break the transfer news first. Um, the transfer didn't happen. What a wonderful signing that would have been for Watford. But it was just an example of how Graham trusted Ollie, Ollie trusted me and, and the, the also, I guess the calibre of player Watford are after at the time. So he, he was well ahead of the game and well ahead of his time, Ollie was.
0: Kevin Affleck sharing about what Ollie meant to him. And what did he mean to someone like Anthony Matthews when he worked with Ollie at the end of Ollie's career?
7: Well, I'm often asked why I've stayed there for so long. And I like to think that both Ollie and the editor at the time, Peter Wilson Leary, took me on. Their love for the town, the community. I mean, that's. I think that's rubbed off on me in my own way. I'm just trying to keep that going if I can, basically. I do local history work and so forth. No intention of ever writing sort of a three-volume piece on what was in the 20th century like Ollie did. It's just keeping that, that community, that aspect going. It's the history side of the football club as well. Again, I think it's, that's Ollie's influence just rubbing off, off on me. And if I can sort of play my part in keeping that in the spotlight of the, of the younger fans as well and help, sort of helping them appreciate what's gone on before.
5: He made me calm down a lot helped me address some of the challenges I had with delivering the messages that I wanted to, certainly around the trust. He would put a a, a word arm around me and and say, well, if you wanna try and get that message across, have you thought about trying to do it in this way? Have you thought about trying to speak to that person? He had such an amazing level of knowledge of who could and should be involved and how you could and should get the best out of them. It was so helpful, and um, I'm, I'm really grateful for that time because I think much as the, the Trust has done a number of things in those early days and has continued to try and do the right thing, had it not been for the support of Ollie and then the Watford Observer, we wouldn't have got anywhere near to the volume of support from amongst the fan base that we did because he wanted to know how he could help once he understood what we were trying to achieve.
1: When I was on the sports desk at the Watford Observer, Ollie and the editor, Peter Wilson Leary, said to me, do you fancy coming across to the sports desk as deputy sports editor? And I was like, wow, definitely. Yeah, um, for sure. One of the ways the sports desk was and the news desk was, it was all structured at the time. The thing was, because I'd been learning about layout sub-editing, I'd been doing the sports pages for one of our district papers the St Albans and Harpenden and Observer. But what they said was, when you come across to the sports desk, bring that job with you. So it's all back self-contained on the sports desk. And the basic matter of it was that it was just too much for me to take on and do. And I was struggling right from day one to get the district pages all done and then move on to the Watford Observers pages, these huge... You know broadsheet pages there was you know lots to write lots to sub edit lots to lay out and then you know sort of wednesday ollie's copy would start coming in and you'd have sort of two three broadsheet pages of ollie's work to uh to read um sub edit proofread layout it was a huge job really and i i was too inexperienced to cope with it anyway i was struggling and i kind of laid down a bit of a what i thought was an ultimatum like this is you know this is just not doable I, you know, I don't know what to, I don't, I'm just slipping behind Ollie. What can, what you've, you know, I, I was too frightened to actually say you've got to do more because Ollie just did the for coverage at that time. He was a sports editor, but his, his job was just the for coverage, a big enough job. He didn't get his hands dirty with local football or rugby or bowls or any of the other sports. And Ollie just kind of listened to me as I kind of talked myself out, you know, I sort of went out like a bit of a firework. I went home. And then the next morning I came in uh, and Ollie was an early starter. He would always be in the office before most people. And he was on the phone and he was on the phone to the manager of Bovingdon or Kings Langley or Chipperfield Corinthians. And he just took it on himself to take on the Hart Senior County League reports and Roundup. Just take it off my, um, you know, take it off my workload and mucking in that way he didn't say anything about it, he didn't sort of make a big deal of it, but he just stepped up when I needed him, he could see I was struggling, he'd heard I was struggling, he just stepped up and he helped me, you know, get on top and he really sort of mentored me through the next sort of few weeks and months and showed me, I think he perhaps assumed that I was coming into the job knowing exactly what, was doing and I I sort of didn't really I was trying to make it up as I went along and he just kind of held my hand through the next few weeks and you know we kind of got there eventually.
0: We'll have some of our contributors favourite Ollie Phillips stories in a minute but with Ollie's passing at the beginning of February we're actually lucky to hear that uh, he heard about several accolades he was given firstly by the borough council uh, in their celebration of being 100 years of of being a borough and how Ollie was uh, named in the List of a hundred people who contributed to the, the forming of the town, but also, of course, how the club has named the media suite after Ollie. Here's Richard Walker, the head of media at Watford, explaining about how that came about and why the club decided to do such a thing.
10: We wanted to mark Ollie's decades of service to supporters covering the club in a way that was going to be permanent, a little bit like the stands Sir Elton John, Graham Taylor, and Swanson. The Graham Taylor statue, we feel there's a sort of community of history and marking history around the stadium. So places where people could actually stand and reflect on what's been achieved and what's been done. And Ollie's remarkable long service and decision to stay in local journalism when he could have gone on to national newspapers, it was well known, is quite extraordinary. And he really is respected as the voice, I guess, of the voice of the supporters. He was a supporter himself, and we wanted to make sure that that was recognised in, per- in perpetuity in a permanent way at the stadium. And the media suite hasn't had a particular title other than the media suite, and it seemed obvious to um, everyone at the club here that that was the best way to do it. We were in touch with the family all the way along, a couple of his daughters in particular were in touch with us regularly, we shared some ideas and and they were really delighted. We invited the family along to the Blackburn Rovers game and after the match, after they'd sort of had time as our guests in the hospitality areas, they came over, uh, all the whole group that, uh, that joined on the day and had a look around the media suite and were It was quite emotional, really, after the game, seeing um, the caricature that we'd worked up of Ollie's face with the inimitable hat on and tipped to one side and his favourite phrase, be lucky that he used to sign off messages and conversations with underneath. So it's a permanent tribute. And I suppose it was a little bit personal for myself as well as someone who, who joined the club in 1999, first of all, and was in awe, really, of Ollie Phillips and his coverage of Watford and the connection he had with managers. And I do remember working in those early years to to really try and gain Ollie's respect and trust. I was just an enthusiastic writer of copy and communications and was getting stuck into life in the the press office with just two of us there. And... uh, Ollie and Terry Chalice were in the press box. We shared quite a few match days, some laughs.
0: And I had to ask Richard about how people have reacted and what the club had heard from people in the media and, of course, fans since Ollie's passing.
10: Some people really upset because his his name is essentially synonymous with Watford coverage among those that have served a long time on national newspapers and other forms of media and broadcast as well. Uh, had some lovely messages about sort of doing the right thing by him, and you know, club's done him proud, and it's it's great to receive those messages. But we've got a good sense inside the club of 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 what's right when it comes to the sort of community values, and and really, I suppose the the question that uh, we often ask ourselves is is that what Graham Taylor would have approved, or well, I'm sure he would have approved of uh, making sure he's remembered in perpetuity at the stadium, having spent so long talking to him over many, many years of managing Watford. So it's those sort of guiding principles that still drive a lot of what happens uh, off the field behind the scenes.
0: But big personalities like Ollie's always come with big stories. And we asked all our contributors to to tell us their favourite Ollie Phillips story. Here's a few of them. Andrew French first.
6: He's well-renowned for his curries and the one that always sticks in my mind was when he, d- he went through a phase of bringing a curry into work so when he went somewhere like um where i've just been rush home he used to for any game in manchester he'd go to the curry mile in rush home any game in birmingham he'd go to the curry mile in sparkbrook and he would have a curry but he'd also ask for say six portions of chicken jowl to take away um and then he would freeze them and eat them over the course of the next weeks and so every day he'd come in with this plate with rice and some sort of curry in the middle of it covered in cling film and it was pretty pungent as you can imagine and and this was a big open plan office but you could still smell it and then about five to one every day he'd go down to the canteen and they'd warm it up for him and of course when it got warmed up that fragrance got even more noticeable so on the way back from the canteen even as he stepped in the office you could smell it and people would set their watch by it you know oh, that i can smell all his curry it must be one o'clock and then he'd come back and he'd plonk it down the table take the cling film off and he'd open up his drawer next to his desk and he always had this selection of chutneys that he'd got chutneys and pickles from um, various indian shops in the curry miles that he went to and he would sort of pick one out and open it up get a spoon and dollop that on and that really used to stink whatever he had in there and he'd stir it all in and then he'd chomp away at it and and i mean being a curry lover i liked it but um some people found it a bit offensive the smell um and then one day he said oh, i've just got terrible i'm getting these terrible indigestion and heartburn and stomach ache and i've been to the doctor and the doctor said it's either something i'm eating or i need to alter the time i'm eating it so i thought well that'll be the end of the curries no 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 no. the curries came in he sat him at half past 10 Instead of at one o'clock, Sa- same smell, same curry, different
5: time. Ollie on pre-season was certainly very different to Ollie during the season. He was a a lot more relaxed. Would often have a cold drink, not just a curry. Out in the Isle of Man, it was it was particularly amusing because I think everybody realised that um, it really wasn't the place a team should be preparing for a, a, a campaign in the top flight. Not only was the weather appalling, the pitches were dreadful. I think Alec Chamberlain ruled himself out for about. 6 weeks at the start of the season with an injury he got there and and Ollie he really didn't like it out there very much at all. One evening we'd had, we'd had a we'd had a drink and he uh, he he'd had a couple of drinks and he decided, <laughs> "Nah, I can't, I can't do this anymore." And he said like, "Peter, I am I'm going back tomorrow. I can't I can't be bothered to stick around anymore." Gave me his press pass for the game, not that you actually needed one. An absolute farce of a game the next day. Um, and he'd gone back he knew I could write a little bit, and so occasionally he would uh he would get me to write a few things here and there. but when he retired, he knew that i was I was going home and away. His first game he was going to miss before he retired, but during the sort of period of settling into France was a game in April 2003 and he said look don't worry about um, writing we've got that covered and Ant Matthews was going to do the game but if you could just keep us in touch with the score I said yeah yeah no worries no worries well as I sent my 10th message at half time he sort of responded really rather (laughs) sharply and he said look I know you're winding me up no-one's ever going to be 5-4 up at half-time. Well, of course, that was the Burnley game we went on to win 7-4. So the first game he missed in God knows how long was an 11-goal away, away win. I wasn't really sure how he, um, how he would feel about this. I was like, I'm not winding you up, Ollie. It genuinely is the case. And his immediate response was um, a lamentation that this was clear evidence that the show must go on. And subsequently, when he moved to, uh, when he moved to France, if you ever, ever phone him up, he would um, answer his his French phone number with his um, familiar Watfordian tone, but this time saying bonjour. <laughs> He never, he never made any attempt to um, sound, sound particularly French.
1: 97, 98 season, when we won the Second Division Championship, by this stage, I was back on the news desk, but I was you know, still had a real keen, interest in sport. And I pitched this idea that if Watford won the championship, we could do like a souvenir magazine to go out with the paper, you know, nicely designed with sort of colour pictures and cutouts and text and, you know, make it all, you know, whiz bang. Which at the time the technology was just about there to be able to make those kind of magazine uh, type things using local newspaper type printing. Ollie was slightly sceptical to start with. I think I think he thought that the word should be the star. Sort of I won him over, and he really went for it, and he 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 wrote some lovely pieces in that, and it's a real celebration of that season where, under Graham Taylor, the team won the title. And it was Ollie at his best, really. He 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 would sort of shout across, you know, how many words do you need from Richard Johnson? I was like, I'd look at my little layouts and the designs go, ah, two, 250, Ollie. And, you know, he would write 250 words. You know, he would really hit the word count. Myself and Simon Ricketts, who was helping me on this project, were sort of, you know, chuckling at how Ollie would, absolutely hit the word count so we started throwing in these sort of random word counts so so how much do you want how much do you want on you know the the older match and we'd say oh 123 words please ollie and he would send back 123 words you know just just his little my little joke his little joke um and we were kind of no one would know you know it it was just he he was such a master of uh, being able to say what he wanted to say in the number of words that you could Squeeze in, I guess. Lastly, on that Champions ninety eight, because one of the things I was really pleased with, and kind of the uh, the forerunner, I guess, to to the book I did, four seasons. You know, we did stretch ourselves. We stretched the technology. We stretched the photographic staff. You know, Ollie stretched himself as well. And uh, I remember we were we were looking at the front cover. What's the front cover going to be? We had all these pictures from the victory at Fulham on the last day of the season, and of course they wore that blue two-tone blue away shirt if you remember stripes blue away shirt so not yellow so it didn't look very watford when we had this picture you know filling the whole cover and Ollie looked at it and I looked at it it's a picture from the dressing room predominantly of Jason Lee kind of you know um, celebrating surrounded by teammates and he's like no it's uh, not really the right colors is it and I was like, no and we looked at other pictures nothing really worked and he just said why don't you just put a big yellow board around it I was like uh, could work. Tried it. It looked great. It printed fantastically. And yeah, Ollie, the kind of who'd he'd kind of cast himself as a sort of. I won't say the dinosaur, but, you know, the words man who didn't have a flair for the sort of the, you know, the design flourishes or what have you. Um, you know, he, he sort of did himself out a bit of a disservice there because when we really needed a, an idea, he, he came up with one. Working on a project like that with him at a time when the club was just putting itself back together again, wasn't it? You know, after the sort of doldrum years and there was a real sense of momentum. You know, Graham Taylor was back. The team was exciting to watch and Ollie was back in his element covering those years. We always used to have,
7: whenever we go on to. tour away game there was always this pre-match routine of yeah a curry and two beers at the best curry house we could find and i will say my taste has improved since but i've tasted so many different types of chicken tikka masalas thanks to ollie (laughs) i have i have improved i've gone on to stronger stuff since then but we shared a love of music as well thanks to my parents influence, I was sort of raised on 50s rock and roll which is a lot of people know is one of his strong suits but <laughs> he sensed I was a, a bit of a fan as well so we used to have we used to have chats in the car about 50s rock and roll groups and things like that which considering I was only mid-20s at the time I think it was I'd like to think was quite impressed by it. but when Terry Chalice was alive god bless him when those those two were just Wonderful. They just bounced off each other. Times, it was sort of a a laugh a minute on some of the away days in in the car and so forth. And what what I always admired about Ollie, coming back from away games, as soon as he was out in the car, somebody else used to drive home, he'd get his laptop out and start typing up his match report there and then. And I've never, ever, ever been able to do that. I'm, I'm sort of the type who prefers to... If I'm doing a more analytical piece, I sort of prefer, prefer to sort of think and reflect on it before I write. So, whereas he could just go straight into it. And by the time he got home, or if it was a long journey, it'd be written sort of halfway home. He might tweak the odd thing here and there, but that was, you could pretty much guarantee that what he wrote post match was what went in the paper. It was extraordinary how he did it. I don't know how he did it. So, that's probably why he was so good at what he did. Because just that ability to just straight away after a match, just to switch that and just put his thoughts down there and then. It's fantastic.
4: I just remember being in awe of his, his stories and, and, and that area when he came up with Elton John, and I remember him saying he was playing around the golf with his friends at West Hearts and his, his mobile was kind of going off. So I, I think he might have had, he might have been in the early days of mobile phones, and it kept going and it kept going, and, and he took the call, and it was it was Elton John, and, and I just remember thinking, wow, like Elton John was ringing Oliver Phillips and he said he was sat in the bunker furiously scribbling down shorthand on, on his scorecard and then he was grabbing the scorecards of others because because Ollie could keep people engaged and talking for ages and ages and sums up the the, the, the contacts he had, the respects he had. And My favourite
2: headline of his, I don't reckon he would have allowed sub-editors uh, to write his headlines, was Lemmings at Bournemouth after our penultimate game in the relegation 74-75 season. We lost 4 2 despite having a superhero side, but one without guidance, fitness, or discipline. I once had an online chat with Oliver about this headline, and he told me that centre back Alan Garner asked him, Ollie, what the F is a lemming? Garner was a great player, but not an intellectual heavyweight, it seems. Ollie also told me that Alan Mays professed to him one day, Ollie, we all read your stuff in the dressing room, but we can't understand afterwards you
1: use. I remember once he was on the phone it turned out he was on the phone to Glenn Roder, who was the manager at the time and and he kind of put the handset the phone handset to his chest and shouted across to me and a colleague they've been offered 450 grand for Gerard Lavin, Millwall are interested, would you take it or not and I just said quick as a flash, not at the time realising that it was Glenn Roder on the phone, I said yeah take it, I'll drive him to South London myself Ollie sort of said, yeah, they say take it, they'll drive him to South London (laughs) themselves, kind of thing. I was like, "Wow!"
0: So as a man who retired nearly 20 years ago, what would Ollie be like in the modern world of football media? Simon Marchant.
2: He retired to France in 2005, so who knows how he would have reported on the Salad Brothers or Bassini. I think he would have tired very soon of Gino's long stint in witness protection.
0: But of course... Ollie worked with Andrew French at the What Preserver back in the 1980s, and Andrew's back there now. So how does he think he would react to the modern football media landscape? I think he would find the sort of disposable nature of a lot of
6: today's media quite distasteful because he, he you know he enjoyed what we call a long read he enjoyed writing something that was two or three thousand words that you know you he was used to say you take it down the toilet with you you know and that's that's what he was talking about something that you know it took a good while to read it and you might want to read it a second time round. so i think a lot of dis- today's sort of disposable you know short form articles he would find a bit frustrating i remember i think it was wasn't the last time i saw him but certainly on one of his visits in the last couple of years you know he talked about the fact that the Watford observer to him was always a a weekly and and he would find it very hard to you know be peppering stories out day after day after day the benefit that he had was you know if there's a game on a Saturday he had till the following Thursday to hone everything to add to it to embellish it and then he would you know he might want to do a second piece later he'd had time to think about it there's such an immediacy about you know web media and you know social media that you just don't really get the
0: chance to do that. So I think he'd find that frustrating. Ollie was a one-newspaper club in his career, following Watford up and down the country for, for decades. But what did Tony Coton think? How would he have done if he had made that move, which he turned down to Fleet Street?
9: Ollie's career, obviously, with the Fleet Street press, and I know he had the opportunity to go and work for one of the major scribes. Ollie never had it in his nature. I'd like to think he didn't, anyway, to put a title out as a headline that really embarrassed you as a player, or if I can use the Graham England turn it. I don't think Ollie would have it in him to do things like that. Maybe that's why he turned it down. I think he was perfect for the role that he had for a town. I think he would have been very good in Fleet Street. I'm I'm sure he was. He was a superb journalist. Whichever paper it was, that would get more readers.
0: So through this podcast, what we're trying to do, we're just trying to find out a little bit more about Ollie. Hopefully open some younger fans' eyes and ears to, to who he was and, and what he achieved and what the Watt ever means to so many of our, our fans. But what about the man that our contributors knew and what did they what did he really mean to them? Let's hear from a few of them. Pete Fincham, Kevin Affleck, Simon Marchant and Andrew French.
5: he will he'll never be replaced he'll never be replaced partly because the world has changed and who on earth stays writing for on one thing or one town now for 40 50 years but i'm really glad he did and we got to share him a little bit
4: and i was just forever in debt to him for what for what he did for me because he he shaped my career and, and he shaped my life in fact he was he, he was a boss he was a mentor and a friend and, and when the sad news came recently you just think everything I've kind of done in life and the people I meet you can all tra- be traced back to him I a great deal when relatively speaking I haven't people have had better careers than me but I lived the dream at uh, uh, the career I could only have dreamt of and it was, it was down to it was down to one man and that was him that was him
2: RIP Oliver Phillips, a man who went to a Watford game on his wedding day, admittedly with his new wife. As others have observed, we will never
4: see his like again. I've got an email that sits at the top of my inbox. Our our inboxes are normally overflowing and we delete most of them, but there's just one that stands at the top, and it's from Ollie from the 31st of January 2009. And the um, it was after I left the Watford Observer, and, and he sent me a, a lovely note, and he just signed it off. If there was anything I can do, I'm there for you, Kevin. Be very lucky. Good luck, Ollie. And and that just that just summed the guy up really. I just thought he was a he was he was a wonderful man, a giant of a figure, and and I can't thank him enough for what he's done, what he's done for me.
6: What I haven't come to terms with yet personally is I've got our chain of whatsapp messages and every now and then and this may sound pathetic but it's not meant to be every now and then I go and look just to see if there's been a new one and I know there never will be but that's what he meant to me is this it's that vain hope that another message might pop up and yeah you know it makes me emotional even talking about it but that's that's what it means you know I I, it's hard to accept that I can't do what I was doing in December, which was sending him the odd article and saying, "You know, do you think this is all right? Do you think I've nailed it?" I can't do that, but at least I had 35 years of being able to do so.
5: So, as much as he started every phone call with uh, "What do you know?", it always finished off with "Be lucky," and I'm I'm uh, proud to have had many, many messages that ended that way.
0: Be Lucky, a tribute to Ollie Phillips, was produced by John Mooney and mike parkin and thank you to all our contributors lana burney Stu hutchinson kevin affleck anthony matthews andrew french pete fincham simon marchant richard walker tony coton and john mclennan of course thank you for listening and thank you to ollie